in the Gospel of Luke for the Gospel lectionary. And Luke, many, more than any of the other Gospels, has lots of parables. 
And so this morning we hear another one of these parables. And it's interesting that there are many famous storytellers in the history of the world. But no storyteller has been more perfect than Jesus Christ. Every single situation that he provides us in his parables, every single word is perfectly chosen to make his point. And so in today's story, we see a rich landowner who is farming all of this land that he has, and God blesses him with a huge abundance, a bumper crop. So much fruit of the earth is born from this land that this rich landowner has a dilemma. He has nowhere to store his crops with the current barns that he owns. And so the rich man says, What shall I do? He's speaking about the problem of abundance. And while he's occupied with this issue, how to hoard his abundance for himself, he's deaf to the cry of the poor people that are all around him who are also saying, very similarly, what shall we do? But their cry is not a cry of abundance. When he says, what shall I do? He's talking about how am I going to store all of these things? But when they cry out, What are we going to do? They're looking for their next meal. The rich man does not need newer or bigger barns to store his goods. St. John Chrysostom says, He has the stomachs of the poor for the place to store his goods. The rich man does not recognize that God is the one who in his great mercy has blessed him. Has blessed the ground that is in his possession to bear fruit abundantly that he may be able to give to others. In the wedding service, we pray the following prayer. Fill their home with wheat, wine, and oil, and with every good thing, so that they may give to those in need. Every single time I do the marriage service and pray that prayer, believe me, I think of this parable. It's a central teaching of our church that he who feeds the poor feeds God. In fact, the teaching extends beyond feeding just material food, but everyone who ministers to the poor and needy is ministering to God himself. One only has to read the parable of the Last Judgment to see that this is true when Jesus says, As you did it to the least of these, my brethren, you have done it to me. Another mistake the rich man makes is in thinking that the crops and the goods that are in his possession are actually his. If he had only recognized that they were God's and that he was a steward of them, he would have treated them as a gift from God and the purpose of them to share with others who were less fortunate. Stewardship is not ownership. Stewardship is management of another's property. When one begins to think selfishly about his possessions, he soon becomes deceived about the rest of his life. 
He thinks he's responsible for all of his own successes, that he can control all of his life and even time itself. He forgets about ultimate things and ultimate truths like death and judgment. This is why God says to him, or this is why he says himself, Soul, you have much goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, drink, and be merry. Can we rightly assume that we have many years ahead of us? Can we really control the happiness of our soul with food and drink? Can making merry through feeding our passions in worldly pursuits satiate and provide our soul with what it needs? God answers these questions for us by calling the man a fool. You don't hear that very often in Scripture. But he says, you fool. God calls this man a fool because his self-centered ways, his errant thinking and misplaced priorities were foolish and contrary to his own nature as a human being made in the image of God. It is foolish and empty to store up things without knowing for whom we gather. I have never seen a man buried with his barns. I've never seen a man buried with his bank account. I've never seen a man take a suitcase with him. I've never seen him take any of the aspects that represent his hobbies. Just clothes. And sometimes not even that. It's foolish to think that we own the earth. People say, I own my own home. I always say the bank owns my home, but nevertheless, we talk about personal ownership. But in fact, these things are just in our possession. We manage them for a time. We may even pass them on through inheritance to those who come after us, and then they manage it for a time. But we think that we're responsible for things like the weather and for a zillion other things that we do not have any control over. That's what this rich landowner thought. I'm responsible for all of the things that allowed this ground to produce so abundantly. Therefore, the fruit is mine. I own it. I get to store it for myself. It's foolish to think that we can set even the limits of time for our own life. It's foolish to believe that our lives are an isolated island and have no impact or ramification or influence on those around us. The truth of the matter is, is that our family, our community, our planet is increasingly smaller. And everything that I do and all that I have and all that I am, every decision that I make has a ripple effect that affects those around me. Notice that Jesus says, this man's soul will be required of him. Only the souls of those who cling to this fallen world and the pseudo-life that it offers will have fearsome angels demand from them their souls. The fathers of the church who comment on this make this a very important point. 
The souls of people who think like this man become fleshy. Something in substance like the body, like the earth, rendering these souls difficult to separate from the body. And therefore angels have to come to make that separation and demand from the body the soul to take it away. Christians, on the other hand, freely commit their souls into the hands of God with joy and with gladness. For the righteous stewards of God's blessing, the body is a light burden. It's easily shed because it's so filled with grace. It's almost spiritual. A Christian's orientation on this side of life has always been Christ and His kingdom. And for this reason, they have under their, understood their role as stewards and have used their gifts to minister to the little Christs that are all around them. Their souls are already in communion with God, even while on this side of life, and so no one has to come and demand it of them. It's as if when they die and their soul separates from their body, it wants to willingly and freely and lightly ascend to God. This parable, my dear brothers and sisters, teaches us that we need to strive to be rich toward God. Just as He is the model and example of being rich toward us. Furthermore, it shows that we cannot be rich toward God if we are not at the same time rich toward the poor and the needy all around us. And it would be wrong to think that God is calling us only to be spiritually generous and not generous with our money and other material resources to those around us and to God. Literally 70% of Jesus' parables deal with the theme of material riches. And the reason that he spends so much time talking about material riches is because he knows that where our treasure is, there will our hearts be also. There's an intimate connection between our money and other material resources and what priority God has in our life by how we allocate that and use it. It is love, mercy, generosity, and compassion that feeds our souls and makes them truly merry and rich. And in our own parish, we have some very concrete ways that we can practice this kind of stewardship, this kind of mercy, this kind of generosity in being rich toward God and also rich to the people around us. First of all, Tasso the turkey. Many of us may not be aware that that almsgiving project is meant to help the people in this community, this parish community, who are in need. We think sometimes of the poor outside of the community, and that's good. But we might forget the people that are sitting right next to us who do not know where they're next paycheck might come from, where they might meet their mortgage, or where they may even be able to buy groceries. And so Tasso the Turkey is the way for us to reach just next door to us and try to help those people in this season of giving. The food barrels goes a little further out to the greater community. 
But it's in giving out of our abundance, knowing that whatever we have, whatever God has blessed us with, we're simply managers of it. God has given it to us for the express purpose to give it to others because it's more than we need. And it even means more when we are self-sacrificial and it hurts us a little, pinches us a little, squeezes a little, because then and only then are we clearly able to see the image of Christ in that person, to see them truly as our brother and sister. And then finally, in giving our stewardship cards for 2016, what more beautiful way in thinking about our time, the gifts that God has given us, and the treasure that He has blessed us with, can we prayerfully offer that back to God, to each other, because this funds the ministries and the life of this community and to the greater world around us where we are actually giving so that the church can be the church. It can be the body of Christ. It can be the ark of salvation to people all around us. The light and the salt of the earth. The fullness of truth that Christ gave to this world. The means of our entering into the kingdom. This is what our stewardship is each year, funding. And it is an expression of our love for God and our thanksgiving to God. No one makes a minimum or a maximum. Nobody compels us to offer these things. This should be a free, joyful, heartfelt expression of our thanksgiving to God and our life in Christ. Finally, this parable in closing faces each of us with a searching question. And that question is this. If this very night were my last or your last, in relation to whom would I or you be found rich? Would I be rich for myself? Or would I be rich for God or for those who are all around me who bear His image? Amen.